Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Dr. Emron Meyer is about to blow your mind. The guy is a distinguished professor in the Department of Medicine, Physiology, and Psychology at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. That's his primary role. He's also the executive director of the Oppenheimer Center for Neurobiology of Stress and Resilience. He's doing incredibly like groundbreaking, meaningful work. He's world-renowned. He's got more than 35 years of experience in the study of clinical and neurobiological aspects of how the digestive system and the nervous system interact in our health and in disease. He's received numerous awards. He's got the Distinguished Mentor Award from the American Gastroenterological Association and the Ismar Bose Medal from the German Society for Gastroenterology and Metabolic Disease. He, is, again, is world-renowned and celebrated everywhere, but you probably know him because he published a best-selling book called The Mind-Gut Connection. And that is spun off into a variety of podcasts and YouTube videos and articles, all really meaningful stuff. That book has been translated into 14 languages, and he's got a second one on the way. We talk all the time about how things like sleep and exercise influences the way we function, how those things affect the way that we feel, our emotions, the way we interact with other people, literally the ways in which it affects our brain. Today, we focus on nutrition, as Emron gives us insight into the conversation going on between our guts and our minds. The microbiome uh, science came uh, appeared on the scene out of nowhere, really. And initially, I, I was very skeptical about th- these animal studies that came out. And then we had the opportunity, there was a company that actually wanted to fund a study that we could design completely ourselves. So we, you know, took um, a group of healthy young women and uh, three groups of these women, one got ate a yogurt, uh, enriched with a particular um, probiotic combination. Uh, another one didn't do anything. And the third one ate a product that tasted like a yogurt, but was, 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 not ferment, was non-fermented milk. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we found, you know, these significant differences in the brain based on what condition they, uh, what, what the arm of the study they were in. And that really changed my view on this. So I said, okay, so this is clearly something we can also look in in humans. And since then, we have embarked on a series of studies. All our studies now have, when we look at the brain, we look at symptoms, we look at, you know, um, parameters in the blood, but we always collect uh, stool samples and do the comprehensive microbiome analysis. And so now our main interest is, can we, what people have done in mice and rats, can we actually demonstrate this in, in humans, healthy humans, but also different patient populations? And um, yeah, that's where we are today. So it's gone way beyond IBS. We now have funded studies on Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, uh, uh, eating disorders, um, chronic pelvic pain. So it's, it's you know, the brain-gut microbiome axis has become like a central theme of of my research interest yeah with working with other people obviously I'm not doing all these myself but sure the well I, I think it's so interesting and I think one of the first studies um, that I, that I read about um, the the role of the microbiome in depression are, are those some of the rat studies you're talking about yes yeah and, and do you think for for a reader that or for a listener who hasn't read your book yet first of all they should go buy it 
Absolutely. But, and, and, and then fast forward to whichever part they'd like, but um, that's something that's become a really poignant idea in, in our work. We, we find that when we really get to the root of, um, of a situation, of an intervention, even of an, of especially perhaps of a personal experience, there's some underlying anxiety, uh, some, something that could be loosely termed mental health. Uh, and I'm not sure people see the connection between what they're eating, what's going on in their gut, and what's going on in their head. Yeah, and you know, this, this has become, it's, it's a lot more complicated than these initial mouse studies indicated. So the mouse studies essentially were proof of concept studies that showed that <clears throat> there's some relationship between emotional behavior. Um, these mice and rats don't tell you they're depressed or anxious. Right. You look at some behaviors that have been taken as, as measures of, or the equivalent of human symptoms. <clears throat> And, um, but, but that's about it. And that's in, in very artificial conditions, you know, sure. animals without their own microbiota that doesn't exist in humans. Um, you, you pick a particular strain of inbred mice, so they're all identical. Right. So none of this happens in humans. So human research gets a lot more complicated. And the relationship between how you feel mentally um, and your diet has different aspects. It has is definitely you know what we call a a placebo aspect so if you mm-hmm. um if you eat if you pay attention to your food and you eat well you feel better most, most people feel better and it's doesn't necessarily seem to be specific for a particular diet so there's there's people that go on a keto diet and say they feel you know so much better and no brain fog and so much more energy but there's other people that become vegans and say exactly the same thing so right two opposite dietary interventions, but, you know, it hasn't. So I think this is an important thing to realize. There's a big, there's a big mental component to what you think about this food, uh, your own interpretation of how good or bad it is for you and, and, and how you feel. Yeah. The, other, the other one is, <clears throat> so food high in, in nutrients, uh, as a healthy food, um, clearly acts through the traditional mechanism that you absorb a lot of things in your small intestine. They don't even, your, your microbes don't even see a lot of this because, you know, some 90%, depending on what kind of diet you're on. And so, you know, fat and protein and carbs, uh, a lot of this happens before the microbes even see it. Mm. And then the third component is the microbial component. We don't know how big that is. If it's 10%, um, if you eat, a, a plant-based diet is probably more than 50% because all the fiber that you don't absorb in the small intestine goes down there. And then, <clears throat> and then the microbes add an, an interesting component to it. They do, do two things. One is they influence your immune system in the gut. Um, so if you're on an unhealthy diet, typical Western diet, you get this low-grade immune activation in the gut that then can spread through your body, mm-hmm. including the brain. And if you do, if, you, if this is a chronic situation, then um, you may develop this what we call neuroinflammation or inflammation of the brain cells, um, you know, which gives you fatigue and depression and low energy. But the microbes also break down many of these fiber products into small molecules and these molecules can either act on the gut or they can be absorbed in your blood and circulate all the way to the, to the brain. 
I, so, it's, it's so interesting. And before I don't want to cut you off, but I, can you can you say more about sort of the mechanism of the neuroinflammation? So how, how uh, for people who are unfamiliar with the science, how does what you eat then ultimately translate? Is is it when you you, you eat enough bad food sort of chronically over time? That it begins, to, or, or what's the mechanism there? No, this, well, so the, the chronicity is one thing. Obviously, if you are on a very healthy diet and then one day you eat five hamburgers, it's not going to have a major effect on your mood or on mm-hmm. your long term. Uh, but if you do this every day, clearly it, it will over time. But what, what happens, the, the main mechanism appears to be that depending on your food, your, the diversity and what we call relative abundance of these different microbial um, species and, 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 and strains changes. And um, with the typical Western diet with low fiber, high fat, high, um, high sugar, it changes in a way that it, um, it affects the, the, the mucus layer of your gut. So when you think about your gut wall, um, so there's two components to the barrier that this gut wall has between your immune system and between your microbes. One is the lining of the cells of the gut wall, mm-hmm. so your so-called epithelial cells. And then you have a mucus layer on top of this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that mucus layer is sterile. It doesn't have microbes in it. And it separates really the immune system on the one side from the microbes on the other side. Mm. Now, if this, if this mucus layer gets thinner then, uh, and compromised, then microbes get closer and closer to the lining of the gut and in direct contact with immune cells. And that's what then triggers this low-grade immune activation in the gut. And if that's severe enough, then it gets into your bloodstream, um, and circulates to all your organs. You know, it, it's one of the, the, the risk factors for um, heart disease because it affects your coronary arteries. It affects your liver. It makes this non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It goes to your um, fat cells. And in each of these target organs, it induces a state of inflammation. Mm. And the same at the, at, at the brain level. You know, you have half of the cells in your brain are not nerve cells, but immune cells. And they can communicate with immune cells in the blood. So if you have a message from the gut that there's uh, inflammation going on, your brain immune cells will know that and produce their own inflammatory mediators. Mm. And so this is not like, a, like an infectious, you know, meningitis or encephalitis. Mm-hmm. So it's not right. like... It's a low-grade activation of the immune system, which is enough to produce these molecules, cytokines, that then change brain function. Well, it's so compelling because that sort of silent thing, we talk about this in a lot of things, including sleep, mild sleep deprivation, how perhaps it's just, it, it's, it's certainly happening, something um, important is happening, your productivity, your cognitive function, et cetera, your, your emotion regulation, all these things are being slightly downgraded, but it's not, but the alarm, be- it's not so severe, but the alarm bells in your body are going off uh, per se. Yeah. And this is, this is a real problem because most yeah. people on, you know, the typical Western diet have no, no idea, you know, they, right. um, so, I mean, I, I think a big, you know, like one of my missions is really, 
to get this out to the general public as much as yep. possible. Um, and really gotten into this through writing my book and then giving all the talks. So I'm not interested in telling my colleagues at meetings about this, but I want that everybody understands. Right. Um, when they are on an unhealthy diet, this has consequences on the whole body and particularly on the, on the, on the brain. Uh, yep. and, well, it's interesting because there's, there's a sort of secondary motive there <clears throat> because here's what I've seen. I wonder if you've seen the same, uh, especially in the high achieving who, um, we see people so frequently, um, in a state of sort of compromised wellness while they're in pursuit of something great. They're, they're trying to optimize their self. Maybe they're in, 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 the, in the dregs of a, a deep research project or they just got a ton of work, whatever it might be. So they eat from the vending machine. So they uh, don't sleep well enough. So they just don't take care of themselves. And I think what I've recognized is that perhaps those people are willing to sacrifice something aesthetically, something uh, in their physical self, not recognizing that they are also obviously affecting their cognitive function. And the trade-off yeah, no, is exactly what they think. No, absolutely. I mean, the, the whole issue about, you know, cognitive decline with age, which is not physiological, like people don't, you know, you could easily have people in there. And there are examples, people in their 90s and 100s, who have exactly the same cognitive capacity as, as a younger person. But, but the majority of people in Western societies, you know, their cognitive function does decline, you know, starting in their 60s. Because mm-hmm. um, if, you, if you have um, lived with chronic low-grade inflammation of your, of, uh, of your brain for 30, 40 years, um, it, it will hit you at a much earlier age than, uh, than is necessary. So this whole sure. idea that you know, Alzheimer's disease is sort of a, we just have to accept it. Uh, we just have to accept it because we live longer. That's yeah. just not really the, you know, it's not, not correct. Yeah, so it, it's interesting to hear. There's two parts of that that I think are interesting. The first is uh, probably that I, I think people will find a sense of optimism in that. Um, with that optimism, I think people will also have to recognize that accountability is necessary. So optimistic, but then maybe perhaps uncomfortable because it's sort of in our control to both understand it and then discipline our habits enough to, to make sure that we're uh, not stacking the decks. Yeah, and you know, there's, there's also like this, um, this socioeconomic dimension to this. So oh, Totally. So on the, on the two coasts in the U.S., you know, um, people have higher incomes and they, you know, they, um, they have like the luxury to have Trader Joe's and Whole Foods and they have all these things available, um, often higher education in general. But then you take, you know, people in the, in the, in the heartland, you know, have lost their jobs, unemployment, hopelessness and all this. Um, and they don't even have the money to buy this even if it were available, they couldn't buy it because it's a right. lot more expensive than living of uh, McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm totally aware of this, you know, the, the, the audiences that I talk to are the ones that, that can afford it. Um, right. But it, it probably would be at least as important to do the same education to, to people who, who, who are less privileged, you know? And well, I, I'm going to follow that up with a question then. So, so oftentimes we, like you, I think, want to get the, our information and our, our models to as many people as possible. We want to help people. Um, but access is a real concern sometimes. So in, in the areas that we are in, who might not have access to Whole Foods and, and, or, or maybe the, the means to procure the food, even if they had access to it, what, what are some sort of key 
takeaways that they could, they could take from this. So like, say you have to say you have to shop at a Seven Eleven hypothetically. Um, what are, what are some, some key staples for that diet? Um, they could look for right away. So, so the most general recommendation is, you know, that, um, a, a largely plant-based diet is the optimal diet. Um, and you could do this very simply. I mean, the, the, the nutritional value and the protein in, uh, in other health beneficial substances are in, in very cheap food types, you know, beans and uh, lentils um, have, uh, have, have some of the highest um, levels of, of all these, you know, healthy uh, components of a plant-based diet. So, <clears throat> um, so largely plant-based. And then the, if you want to do something for your microbes, the more varied this diet is, the better. So if you can, so, you know, if, if, if you any, only ate beans or peas or, um, or, or, or lentils, it would be very one-sided. You would increase the number of a specific group of bacteria that can digest that kind of food. But what we know now is if you really want to increase the diversity of your microbiome, not just the, the numbers, then uh, you want to eat a really varied um, amount of, of plant-based foods, you know, from different... Um, you know, different fruits, different vegetables, different salads. Uh, and, and the more varied it is, the better, so the more diverse your microbiome gets. And, and that's obviously not, not possible for everybody. There's, sure. It's going to be seasonal. You know, it's pretty a good thing to, to vary with the seasons. Um, there's been studies done in, in, in places in Africa where there is a seasonal variation. Sure. Um, and that's associated with a a seasonal cycling of the microbial um, abundance and diversity. Yeah. So, I've heard about this actually. Yeah. So that's a very you know that's very very interesting. Um, so I mean, what to avoid? So so now I said what you should be eating. So diverse plant based um, um, items. What you should avoid is clearly anything that's highly processed and um, that has a high content of animal fat. Um, and, and a high amount of sugar. I mean, so in, so in some ways, the recommendation is quite easy in theory. In, in practice, like all these things that I told you to avoid are the cheapest. Right. And, um, and you know, the companies know that. So they advertise, right. you know, like Coke or Pepsi versus regular water. Um, so... Coke and Pepsi are cheaper or are higher in a in a Coke machine than the water at the bottom. Yeah. Um, so this, you know, the companies know that. So they that in like in order to maximize sales, these unhealthy things are are favored, and uh, you know the way they are presented to the to the to the public. Totally. There, yeah. There's no doubt. The, and and well, okay. I got to pull something out of that that you mentioned. There is a you mentioned keto earlier. Um, there is, have you heard of the carnivore diet? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and, but you mentioned animal fat being one of the things to avoid. Can you, um, it's an interesting discussion because I trust you and I want to hear what you have to say. Absolutely. Um, 
I'm incredibly skeptical of any of a diet that's exclusively one thing. That's just the way I see it. And to go on a very brief tangent and come right back, I agree with what you were saying earlier. I think oftentimes um, it's not the it's not even it's not going carnivore or going vegan per se that has caused a lot of these things, but perhaps the psychosomatic benefit of of um, having some discipline of, of cleaning up your diet. I think if you take a bunch of if you take Cheetos and, and Mountain Dew out of any diet. It's probably yeah. just a little bit better. Uh, so, so to those who are, are, are in the carnivore world, eating a ton of animal fat, what, what are some of the potential dangers of a diet that looks like that? So, <clears throat> I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of things. So it depends a lot what this, you know, uh, what this beef is, is being produced and, and how it's made. So if you free, free roaming grass-fed cows, there's, there's no question that the composition of their fat uh, a, they have less fat, B, they, so they're not fattened up before they're sure, slaughtered. Sure. Uh, and, and secondly, the, the quality of the fat is much more health-promoting with a high omega-3 to omega-6 ratio of fatty acids. Um, so that's, that's a really important com- uh, component. Um, wild game has the same properties. So, um, yeah. you know, you, you, you cannot compare... Um, so people often say it's about the, the um, um, you know, like a purely meat-based diet. If, if you ate this, like a paleo diet, if you ate the same kind of meat that our ancestors ate, which was all wild game and uh, they had to hunt for it and they didn't catch one every day, <clears throat> then that would probably be an, a healthy diet, you know. Yeah. But what, what has happened to our meat supply, the way, you know, they're antibiotic treated, they're, um, they're fed a totally unnatural diet. They, mm-hmm. Many of them have gastrointestinal problems because of the, 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 the corn that they're being fed, that their digestive system is not uh, good for. And um, so it, it, it depends a lot what kind of meat you eat, you know. Um, sure. But there's, and there's, there's been a recent, you know, controversy in the... <clears throat> in the scientific world because somebody published a paper that showed that, um, th- that there's no study that shows a negative uh, health effect of, uh, of meat consumption, either unprocessed or processed meat, and that this raised a storm of, of outrage um, mm-hmm. from people that have you know, promoted uh, really a, a largely plant-based diet. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, there's not, I mean, uh, the, 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 the available studies in general show that there is a health benefit of a, of a diet that's largely plant-based, not sure. vegan. Uh, so you mentioned that earlier, if you take out the extremes, if you take out the vegans, if you take out the, the pure carnivores, yeah. um, what's in the middle is, is better than definitely extremes, sure. you know? Um, that's right. I, I mean, it, it feels like the extremes get attention, and uh, but the thoughtful center is probably where one ought to be. Which, which that's probably true for a lot of so, things. So, I mean, the things that um, that also go in, into my uh, recommendations now, it's also the environmental impact of um, you know of, of of how you eat. So we shouldn't just think about our own health, but the health of the planet. And um, so clearly, you know. Um, like all this stuff that's going on in the Amazon um, is largely a consequence of the increase in meat consumption, you know, yeah. the, either to um, like in Central America where McDonald's gets all their meat from, 
uh, or the soybeans that are being grown in Brazil after they cut down the Amazon forest mm. or to feed the cattle, not, not humans. So this is a big rationale for me now that it's not just, so we shouldn't just selfishly think about our own immediate health, but we should think yeah. about the long-term consequences. And in that respect, cutting down your meat consumption, even, even by 50% is, is, is a good thing. So if, if you yeah. love meat, um, you don't have to stop eating it. Um, try to get grass-fed beef. Um, try to eat only unprocessed meat. So don't eat the sausages or the uh, other, you know, highly processed meat products. And um, and and don't do it every day. You know, do it yeah. do it three times a week or twice a week. So I, I think, yeah, I'm not somebody. Um, if you stop eating meat for ethical reasons, that's another thing, you know, sure. I mean, that's totally a valid concern. But um, from a health standpoint, I don't think you can say everybody has to become a vegan. You know, yeah, just, I think that's fair. <clears throat> that's very fair. So can you tell me this? I was in um, Oklahoma City this past week and I was in LA, flew to Oklahoma City. I competed in a powerlifting meet and then I uh, treated myself to a a big sort of celebratory dinner. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of worried about what I put myself through. Can I, sh- can I share some of the menu or I'll at least share the big one. Sure. Uh, I had, I had, I had a, uh, a lot of ribs, doctor, probably too many. <laughs> uh, I, I had coleslaw, mashed potato. No, I didn't have mashed potatoes. I had potato salad. Um, and then I had something called uh, blackberry cobbler for dessert. So my question is, just how bad is that for me? Okay, so if you do that once, it's not a big deal. You know, it's there's absolutely nothing to your health in any negative way. That's good news. From the things that you have eaten, so this was probably the, the ribs were probably not from a grass-fed uh, cow. Probably um, not. <laughs> the potatoes is uh, a lot of starch, you know, and. Um, um, then there's a lot of fat on it as well from the mayo, from the potato salad. And, and the cobbler, yeah, it has, has berries or apples in it, but a lot of sugar. So A lot of sugar, yes. So, so you're eating basically like you ate all the things that, are, that, that you should not eat on a, okay. on a regular basis. <laughs> all in one meal? But I have to, I, I have to admit, so, so I've, when our son went to college in, in Boulder, Colorado, we drove sure. a couple of times together across, you know, the West. And I mean, I love these road trips and did exactly the same thing that you, you said. <laughs> and, you know, it, it felt good. I mean, it just feels good. I have to say if you, uh, but I don't eat like that all the time. Right. You know, that's, right. Not, that's the main difference. Well, I, I am, I'm, I'm sorry, I ate all the wrong things. I'm pretty sure it's a direct quote from a doctor. I ate all the wrong things. Uh, but I am excited that it won't do too much. And it reminds me of a quote from your book, uh, which I actually, I underlined the first time I read through it. Uh, the health of any ecosystem can be expressed as its stability and resilience against insults and perturbations. And that is something that makes such incredible sense to me. And I, and I, I think about, um, I go to our other sort of bedrock level ideas like uh, exercise. Well, if you if you're generally fairly mobile, you're moving around and you're well exercised and you're fit in that way, then a couple of days without exercise will probably be okay. 
You know, you, yeah. you endure that. If you are, if you sleep really well for a long time, the, the one night of suboptimal sleep probably won't wreak the same sort of habit as it would have in an otherwise sleep deprived brain. Why would that not also be true for the diet? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people always underestimate how incredibly resilient our organism is. And yeah. um, a big reason for that is really our brain that is this big homeostatic regulator that right. adjusts um, you know, any perturbations of the, the brain response with a stress response. And um, so... Yeah, people shouldn't underestimate how resilient we really are, much more than a mouse or an insect. Or um, And um, so I, I think that the key thing is um, any of these chronic insults that, that we're doing to our health, like, um, you know, it's even shift workers that mess up their sleep rhythm on a regular basis, um, then, uh, you know, uh, un uh, unhealthy eating habits, um, um, waking up because you're so stressed multiple times at night and eating during the night. So your gut and your microbes never have really a resting state where they're left alone and they don't have to, to do anything. Um, all these things, if you do them chronically, will gradually have a negative effect on your body. And it's kind of interesting, you know, the the immune system in the gut. So I imagine that we have about 70% of our immune cells are located in the gut. Um, and um, they seem to be a dysregulation of these immune cells seems to be the common denominator for a lot of the chronic um, negative health effects that we're seeing today, you know, from uh, obesity, cardiovascular disease, brain diseases, um, uh, yeah, pretty much all the, I mean, all the diseases that we encounter today. So it will respond in a negative way to any chronic insult or any any, any chronic uh, dysregulation. Not not if you do something once or you know twice. Uh, it's that, that's. But on 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 the other hand, if people want to change things, you know, living this unaware, unhealthy lifestyle, and then taking some supplements or. Um, prebiotic or probiotics is, is not going to do anything right you know it's it's not it, it it will not compensate for the unhealthy things that you're doing to it and um so if if, if you want to do something for your health you have to change the whole lifestyle it, it doesn't you know it's yeah. either enough to take the the pills the probiotics the, the prebiotics it's not enough to do something a diet for a month mm -hmm. if if anything, if you do this intermittent dieting, it's a bad thing because it, it will um, it will make your situation worse over time. Sure. Um, and um, yeah, so once you make a commitment to you want to live healthier, it's a lifestyle decision that you want to stick with for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. With some of these exceptions that we talked about, you know, the the the, the road trip for getting together with old friends and you know. Um, deviating from this healthy path. Right. Which is different. I, I can't help but think I mean, it's so obviously <clears throat> it's, it, it's an ecosystem, right? And, and um, I'm thinking of, you, you couldn't, you couldn't, and we talk about this, these waves of dieting, you know, bad, sometimes good, sometimes very bad. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go uh, water your garden 
for a week and then and then for two weeks neglect it completely and then the third week yeah, yeah, water, exactly. you know um and, and and i think it's i hope that it's helpful for people to see in the way that you're saying the body mind every every cell in it every piece of it as this connected ecosystem of ideas i think too often and i wonder if it's almost it's it's not the direct result of the academies but you obviously have to break this stuff apart in order to study it and study it well um but the reincorporation might be i hope with research like yours and, and other things going on out there um where we sit nowadays. I, I hope we're doing more of that because I think my feeling is sometimes that, uh, like you said, one would say, well, I've got some gut issues. Let me take this probiotic and I'll be good. Or uh, I'm taking care of my nutrition, but I'm not moving or sleeping well. You know what I mean? And, and, not, and why aren't I better? Not mm-hmm. recognizing that, that these are all component pieces and should all be addressed. Um, yeah, two, two, two comments to that. One is, um, you know, one of the most often asked questions when I give a talk, um, no, no matter what the audience is, somebody gets up and says, so w- what in your opinion is the best probiotic? And, right. you know, that, that always, like after I talk to them for 45 minutes explaining right. the ecosystem concept. So there's a lot of people that, that don't get that, you know, right. they're still thinking. Because, you know, in, in Western societies, we're so programmed from all these advertisements that if there's something wrong with your health, take a pill, you know, it, it's like, totally. Uh, so that's, I, I think that whole idea, that whole concept, if you, I mean, you see it, if you watch, um, you know, TV in the evening, every, every ant, I mean, almost every ant is a, is a medication, which if you watch a lot of TV, which I don't, but I just imagine how indoctrinated people get. I mean, you just need oh, to yeah. take a pill or something. Oh yeah. So uh, th- th- this is actually very, uh, you know, very exciting uh, aspect of, of, of my work. So I got involved in the making of a documentary film that we call interconnected planet. And wow. uh, hopefully will come out, you know, sometime next year. And so in this film, we really highlight this paradigm shift that's going on. So you, you obviously have, you know, get excited about talking about the ecosystem, but it's not just you. I mean, there is clearly now a movement in Western societies to change from the linear reductionistic worldview that everything is simple. You take a pill and you get healthy. That people see the interconnectedness in in really in every aspect and from agriculture to medicine to, to science. And I'm very optimistic. I mean, hopefully it's not coming too late, but I'm very optimistic that it will um, you know, provide a lot of answers to our current questions, uh, particularly about you know health and uh, and, and and healthy lifestyle, and um, but but also you know the larger scale climate change and uh, sure. So I I think that's really and I've come to this really from studying the microbiome because you you can't explain the benefit uh, of a healthy microbiome from one particular organism that you have. And you can't explain if you're obese or unhealthy that this is one microbe and you need to knock it out with a medication. Right. Um, so my, my view of this whole area has changed, but I think the only way to understand microbiome science is from an ecological standpoint. I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think, <clears throat> here's the truth, that's hard for people. 
as you know, of, of, I think the, a lot of people you mentioned the, the coasts in terms and, and then the heartland in terms of distribution of wealth and access to food. I think there's probably a range within that of access to information, understanding, maybe even desire to understand some of these really complicated things. Maybe they don't seem quite as pressing. How would you, how, if, if we had to do the work of spreading this in a very digestible, pun intended, did you hear that, Alex? <laughs> uh, a very digestible way, uh, what, are, what would you say some of the key bullet point takeaways? I love what you said about the variation in the diet. Um, and, maybe, maybe, and, and maybe there's not an answer to this, but if you had to explain it to a class, what, are, what would some of the bullet points um, one should recognize in order to understand the complicated ecosystem of ourselves? Um, yeah, so in, in, in my lectures, I, I would just say that um, if, if, if you look at the body uh, and the brain and all the organs as separate entities that have their specialists that train to treat them, <clears throat> and you live a, a lifestyle being totally unaware um, of you know, why people, when they get older, now all of a sudden everybody needs um, a, a statin or a, a blood pressure pill. Seems to be almost the norm now when you're 50. Yeah. Uh, you if they become aware that this is not something natural, um, that it's, it's related to how all parts of our body and our mind interact with each other and how through the microbes we interact with the environment and with the food that we eat, um, then I, I think this awareness makes people realize, well, I mean, for example, so, so the main discussion right now is all about the healthcare system, like mm-hmm. the public that we need a public option. And then, um, well, I, I think it's equally important for people to, to, to get educated that you don't have to get ill. Like you don't, like you don't, like you shouldn't just rely on the medical system. You should rely on your own insights and your own awareness and, and your own, uh, understanding of your body in simple terms. Um, we're, we're not like a, an old-fashioned car, as I mentioned in my book, that um, when it stops running, you you know you open the hood and you take a, a spark plug and if, if you put a new one in and then it, it runs again. Right. Today, you couldn't do this with a car. Uh, today, you have to understand the computer that integrates all the things in and you have, to un- you have to be able to read out from this computer. That's kind of the way we need to change our view of our body. We're not, we're not a mechanical device. We're, we're, we're a supercomputer. Our, um, where everything is interconnected. And if something breaks down, it's not easily one part. It's mm-hmm. much more likely uh, like a circuit goes down. Or you know, um, I think in general, when you talk to people, that's a fairly... So a lot of people you know, feel that's intuitive. They understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, implementing is and changing the motivation when you go shopping. I mean, all this is sort of staged in a way that it reinforces the negative things. Um, yeah. But once you become aware of this, um, and then, you know, when, when you're waiting for the cashier, there's, you go through this, through this tunnel of all the unhealthiest foods yeah. left and yeah. right. Um, <laughs> So, so if you become aware that this has consequences, if you do this every time, um, it will affect this ecosystem that, that your body and your brain represent. And um, 
you know, I mean, ultimately it will change behavior. I, I always think the most efficient way to do this is be to teach the children um, from early on and then they go home to their and tell their mother, you know, next time or they go shopping together and uh, to the market and, and they tell their mother, no, I don't want to get this. this is, I've learned this is unhealthy. Yeah. Um, I personally think that that has the greatest likelihood of, of change. The, I, second, the second greatest likelihood are the millennials and the younger generation. Yeah. I, I think they look at the world more in this interconnected way, much more. And hopefully that will increase with time. So um, I think changing people's behavior in their 60s and even 50s, unless something catastrophic happens to you, like a heart attack, then people will not do it. But normally they won't. They rather take all these pills, particularly if they don't have to pay for them. Uh, So, yeah, I I think there are ways of doing it, but it it will have to come from the top. I, I think this would have to... Um, yeah, certain individuals will change from reading books, um, but I think it will have to come from the top that we say, okay, um, we have a class in starting elementary school yes. about healthy nutrition. You know, I, 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 I'm so pleased that you are saying this uh, because because I agree completely. I, I'm not sure there is another way. Like you say, it's probably <clears throat> we can we can do our best to support those who are in their seventies and, and beyond um, changing minds and understanding the complex ESO ecosystem of ourselves. That's probably not where, where that job sits. We think that, that uh, there are three lenses through which we kind of approach all of our interventions. So, um, and, and this just makes complete sense. We have, you have to think about understanding motivation and access, UMA, understanding motivation, access. And I'm, and I, and I'm, you, you mentioned motivation. I think that might be one of the things that we haven't done a good enough job with. So we work with a lot of schools and a lot of teams. We can say, be healthy. We can say that this sort of diet will lead to X, Y, or Z. But unless the, the person you're interacting with has identified that as a motive, as something that they actually want, then it's sort of relevant, you know, you know, um, especially dealing with say teens who they're interested in maybe taking risks and being healthy is not at the top of their mm-hmm. list. Okay, fine. Um, well then, Anyway, it just directly aligns with our model. So we task ourselves oftentimes with uh, becoming very familiar with the research and then identifying what people want and creating a narrative so that motivation and understanding align and then the the access concern, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, making sure that they can jump that hurdle is needed. You know, one thing that um, I was going to mention, so there's just been this recent movie documentary, Game Changer, um, you know, which has become very popular. And there's a lot of things in that film that are not really fully evidence-based. You know, it's exaggerated. And um, But I think one thing that this has done, and, and I'm sure this was the purpose, whoever made that film, they wanted to change the motivation of mainly um, young male adults um, that you don't, uh, you know, just eating meat is not, a sign of masculinity you can be right very masculine and very uh, um, competent and successful in anything from you know formula one driving to weightlifter to um, football player 
um, and and you can be a vegan. And I, I think this is really this is one approach that I mean, not that I'm promoting the vegan diet necessarily, right. but right. Mm-hmm. so I, I think the, the, this is an approach I think that one could take as well. So yeah, to to affect middle-aged people or, you know, younger adults. Um, so, so I think there are ways of doing it. Um, yep. um, and if this becomes, if it becomes hip um, to, you know, um, to, to eat a healthy diet, just like it's hip to not to smoke, yep. then I think that's another, could be another game changer. I, I think you're so right. And, and, um, I wrote something down earlier that I also want to sort of dig into, but I, I never thought of that <clears throat> meat and masculinity narrative, I, you know, as an example. Um, certainly it's out there. The, um, the other one that I was thinking about is I, I made a note to myself when you were talking, the idea that, um, that this is normal when talking about like aging in certain ways. It, it's, it does seem to be there, there does seem to be a need for some sort of counter narrative that, that, you know, it's not normal that this is what happens when you get old. It doesn't mean you're tough. If you, um, just eat meat at every meal, you know, these, these are, these are artificial things that have probably come through sitcoms and something yeah, uh, yeah. Hollywood that, um, that we might not want to take a closer look at. Yeah. yeah. So. And now, you know, I mean, I mean, talking about Hollywood. So now you notice that both the commercials, but also, the sitcoms, you know, have people with higher with higher body weight. Um, um, so to normalize it, to say this is actually this is the norm now, um, and and I think that's um, there are these subtle messages. And I wouldn't even be surprised. You know, there are these organizations where all the the big um, um, food companies, processed food companies, and agricultural companies, they have these foundations, mm-hmm. and they pour money into things that you would never think um, yeah. there's, there's, there's corporations behind it. And I wouldn't even be surprised, you know, the pharmaceutical industry benefits tremendously from people being, being overweight and buying, you know, needing yeah. more of these drugs. Um, isn't that amazing? So, you know, I, I mentioned earlier this um, this controversy about this publication in a prestigious medical journal that uh, eating processed meats is okay. Uh, and when you look at you know the, how these authors who who sponsored their research, right? So, so there were these institutes that had um, had had some of the biggest agricultural um, you know producers um, and and and. F- Pepsi and uh, you know that are behind this. So right. just like with what happened with cigarette smoking, you know the tobacco industry was very clever how they planted all these uh, the the masculine image of smoking. You know was okay. a big thing in Hollywood. And quite honestly, I'm I'm, I'm sure these data are out there that uh, that all these Hollywood movies, if they included somebody smoking that was supported by the tobacco industry. You know, it's, it, it, it's, I'm glad that you said that too, because I think some people would dismiss that as um, like a conspiracy theory. It most certainly is not, you know, um, just like I would, like I said, I was just out at Cal state Fullerton, um, a friend of ours, Andy Galpin, he was explaining how some of his research is funded through supplement companies and different things like that. Well, yes, of course, uh, agriculture and, and pharmaceuticals, uh, folks with really high-end out, you know, financial outcome uh, influence agendas are the ones fueling these studies. And often people don't recognize that. It, sometimes they'll, they'll fuel multiple studies 
until they get the sort of research that supports the narrative that they're trying to promote. Yeah, no, it's it's really sad, you know, because, you know, many of us are fighting for this, are very passionate about it. And um, and then you realize there are these bigger forces, you know, the, mm-hmm. that lobby Congress and that uh, that influence uh, movies and influence research. Um, it's particularly bad from my viewpoint as a scientist if, if this influences research. So this study has done tremendous harm to the field, I would say, because a yeah. lot of people are going to say, oh, I told you so. You know, it's not bad to eat, to eat sausages. And um, what, a, what a lovely and comforting confirmation bias to someone who just likes to eat sausage and ribs. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. Uh, it, 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 so, it, yeah, it's unfortunate when it sort of seeps into the science. Yeah, yeah, that's um, which is, is a shame. I think Alex might have one or two questions, just we call it our lightning round. Um, and so why don't we go into that really quick before I say goodbye. Curious what your first job was. Um, you mean my first job making money? Yep, first job ever. <laughs> well, so, um, I mean, you know, like when I was in, um, when I was in high school, um, I, I worked in my parents' uh, bakery um, to make money on the side. So that was the first time I got paid for doing something. But otherwise, I mean, you know, the typical medical career, I mean, you don't really make money until you make it through medical school to your internship and then, um, you know, get paid a very small salary being an intern and, and, and then working around the clock. So that's pretty much, and then, you know, later it's, it was all within the medical yeah. career. But the first thing I did was working in a bakery. Were, or, you, were you actually baking, getting your hands dirty or? Ab- absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what was your specialty? Uh, I don't, I don't know anymore. Any, like all the unhealthy things that I wouldn't eat anymore today. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, we talk a lot about uh, self-talk, self-talk that professionals use either just day to day, maybe that's in the face of a challenge or even just like a mantra that somebody might have. Curious uh, if, if you have any self-talk that you use. Well, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty much, um, it's, it's, an, it's an optimistic, you know, message. Um, when I wake up in the morning and I, I look, out from our from our window, go outside in the in, in the garden and see this this beautiful you know Santa Monica Mountains. Uh, I'd say this every morning. You know, it couldn't be any better. It's how beautiful is that? So it's a lot of positive messages. Even when I get into difficult situation or or, or the stress, I always say, um, you know, we're so lucky to to live this life that we're living. And quite honestly, I've done this. I, I remember <clears throat> even in, in the, in the sixties and the seventies, uh, I, I always said, it's not going to get any better. This is the best, you know, that, that it could be. And um, so I, I think <clears throat> a, a general positive attitude that you apply on a daily basis to everything that you do is, is my main self message. You know, it's, 
Yeah. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because both Jim and I actually work at high schools during the day. We're both strength and conditioning coaches. And, you know, even in the face of like some of the issues that we run into or some of the challenges that we run into, um, one of the things that we often talk about is, is even like, man, like, look at, like, look at the problems that we have, right? Like, are, isn't it awesome that these are our problems? You know, like we're hanging out in a gym all day with like, and all that, like we're, we're incredibly lucky to have the issues that we have. Um, so I, I really like that. Now you mentioned, uh, earlier that you enjoy these long road trips, whether it's going to see your son in Boulder. Now we are not advocating for any of this. I want to throw this disclaimer on there, but if you had to pick like one road trip food, that's your go-to, uh, I'm curious what, what you're, what we're looking at there. Oh, so the road trip foods clearly would be the hamburger, you know, and, and, and the French fries and, uh, not, not the Coke. I've kind of really completely weaned myself off of sugary drinks or, you know, sugar substituted drinks. Yeah. I mean, now I feel, you know, like going to Colorado, um, a Buffalo burger is, I, I, I don't even have to feel guilty about it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's grass fed. And, um, no, there's just, there's nothing that really would surpass that for me. I, I know it's the memory of earlier road trips or, uh, yeah. I'm curious as well. You, 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 um, the, in a lot of your messaging, you talked about uh, environmentalism. I, I get the sense that you are environmentalist yourself uh, and are passionate about those mm-hmm. things. Um, so I'm interested in some of your favorite uh, activities outside of your research and outside of your work. Is hiking a big part of it? Outdoor stuff, things like that. Yeah, hiking and mountaineering has always been a big part of it. From um, so I, I grew up in this small town in the Bavarian Alps in in southern Germany, and that was our main um, leisure activity. Every weekend, we went into the mountains locally. You know, drove to Italy, to France, to Switzerland. Um, then I did this throughout my um, adolescent um, life, climbing mountains in. Uh, in South America, um, uh, Denali in, 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 in Alaska. So this, this has really been a, a, a passion. I, I still have it today, but on a much, you know, easier scale. So I'm, I'm not doing anything extreme anymore, but, um, yeah. So the outdoor is something that's almost like, I think in my brain, deeply anchored in, 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 uh, in my brain. Love that. Sounds awesome. Sounds like a beautiful place to grow up as well. Oh uh, yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Do you go back there a lot? Um, so I've, I've been trying to go back there at least once a year, um, but I'm, I may spend more time there, you know? Um, um, yeah. So, you know, so we have a family home there and so I, I may take advantage of this more in, in, in the future. Hmm. And it's, it's interesting to me, like, it's not for me, it's not, I'm, I'm not pulled back to, to Germany per se. I'm, I'm really pulled back to the landscape, to the, yeah. to the landscape that I grew up in. You know, it's interesting. It's not, yeah. it's not the people, it's, 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 it's the lifestyle in the mountains. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely uh, few and far between in the States. There's no question that it's harder to find those. Uh, not that they don't exist, but I don't know if we have a place that's quite like the Bavarian Alps here. Um, all right. So last question I have for you is, uh, as a leader in this field, uh, what advice would you give to a future leader hoping to embark on a similar journey to yours? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this on a regular basis with all the students that we train here, <clears throat> which I should say is, is, 
not surprisingly, mainly female students. It seems like um, if, if you came to our center, it's 90% women and, and, and you know, young women. Um, to really implant this idea of this, this whole health concept that, you know, it's not just our health, it's, it's the health of the soil, it's the health of the plants and, and, and the planet, and that we have this responsibility and, and it's, it's, it's almost against what I have sort of worked all my life in, in a medical, in a medical center. Yes, it's, a, it's great to have a medical center uh, if you have some life-threatening serious illness where modern medicine is really, really great. And, but I'm, I'm very much opposed to the function of catering to chronic self-inflicted uh, disorders and diseases. Yeah. I, it's, it's just, and so in, in my teaching and, the, you know, the way I hope that a lot of young physicians are, are, are growing up is um, to, to have the same attitude that um, you're not in medicine to make money. You, you're in medicine to, to improve health, you know, on a, on a, um, and, and that's not, that's not always the case. So uh, in, Certainly in this country where you can make so much money, it's not the primary motivation for a lot of people, uh, you know, to, to really improve health with all its consequences, not necessarily treat disease, but improve health. Yeah. Love that. All right. Dr. Meyer, you passed the lightning round. Fantastic job. No, you guys are really good in, in, in the kind of questions you ask. I really, you know, I'm, I'm doing this so often now, but it, 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 it always differs, you know, between the, 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 the person who is on the other line. And uh, this has been particularly enjoyable, I have to say. This is really great. Well, uh, we appreciate you very much. Um, and I'm, I'm very encouraged to hear you say that because, um, I mean, your work is super meaningful. We're really excited to share it with the world and use it to influence our practice and what we're able to, um, how, how we are able to support young people. So um, very, very grateful for your time. Okay, thanks very much. So I think you mentioned this in the beginning, you know, if, if anybody's interested to learn, um, to learn more about this topic, um, you know, my, my, my first book is sort of an introduction to it. Um, I'm working on a second book, we'll oh, come great. Out, you know, and our film as well. I think once that comes out, I Remind Interconnected, me the name of it. Interconnected Planet. Yeah. So I, I think that will hopefully be an eye opener for a lot of people. Well, we, we will absolutely, I highly recommend anyone listening, check this out. Um, they can start with the mind-gut connection. Uh, I highly recommend it. And um, just for those who might be intimidated by it, just the term microbiome, it is not only deep with uh, knowledge and understanding and research, but it's very readable. It really is presented in a way that, that um, I think people will get a lot out of, be able to get a lot out of it. So highly recommend it. Um, and, and sincerely, once again, thank you so much for the work that you do and for spending this time with us. Uh, we've really enjoyed it. No, so did I. Thanks for inviting me to this Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them is up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. 
They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.